All right, another dive into the archives. This is going to be, I think, June or July of 2011. Brad's father has just passed away, and that's going to come into effect here. We start this episode with an interview with former United States Senator Richard Burr. He's former now. He was current then. Um, we get into some stuff with Casey Anthony. We get into stuff, some stuff with um, D.B. Cooper in that case. We talked to a guy named Justin Elliott, really good reporter with ProPublica these days. He was with Salon then. Um, there is a story about Brad's brother wanting to pay or wanting or, or talking over an obituary about his dad and, and them paying like $1,500 and how outrageous it is. And then we have Brad Garrett from ABC News to talk about FBI stuff. So there's there's a lot of things in here. Something might repeat. I'm sorry if it does, if that bores you, whatever. Um, but here we go. Brad and Britt from 2011. Enjoy. Here he is, the uh, senior senator from the state of North Carolina, Republican Richard Burr. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Greetings from North Carolina from Winston-Salem, and the first time I've slept in my own bed for a few weeks. Uh, must feel pretty good here. But I'll just start out by uh, expressing uh, everybody's condolences, mine in particular, for the loss of your father uh, a few weeks ago. Sounds like a pretty special guy. Uh, he was a special guy. He lived to be 90, and I, uh, the week uh, that he died, he looked at me and said, you know, I can't complain about being cheated. And, uh, you know, the loss of a parent is tough. You never get over it, but you also never forget, forget them. And I understand you've had a, a yeah. similar tragedy. Thank you. Yep, uh, last week. So, uh... Well, our, our thoughts and prayers are with you and the rest of the family. And... Uh, you know, the comfort that we know, that we have is that they're in a much better place today. I had a dad who lived 90 years waiting for that day uh -huh. because he thought that would be the most exciting part of his life. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure he's enjoying that now. Right. Uh, now, he uh, did not live to see you vote yes to increase the uh, the debt ceiling. <laughs> the debt ceiling. <laughs> did, did you have a discussion with him over that? <laughs> oh, you know, he followed politics and he followed Washington fairly closely. Yeah. And uh, I remember... Uh, one stint in the hospital when I came back in, this was probably six months ago, and my dad looked up at me and he said, I apologize. And I said, what for? He said, I fought a war so you wouldn't have to go through some of the stuff you're going through right now. Wow. Hmm. Hmm. So when you think about that, um, you know, these, these men and women who lived through the Great Depression, through World War II, did a lot of things on our behalf so we wouldn't have to deal with them. And I sort of look at the challenges we've got now, and I look at my kids, and I understand I'm going to make some tough decisions, but I better make them because I think their future is better off, not that my future is better off. Let's tell everybody they can call 866-482-1011 if they want to talk to Senator Richard Burr. It's 866-482-1011. Let me just get your thoughts, kind of a wrap-up of this real frustrating period of time over the past, what was it, four weeks that we went through this tug of war with uh, raising the debt ceiling. What, do you, what is your description of what happened? Um, well, it, it sort of is a, a after-action snapshot. This was a historic moment, uh, primarily because for the first time in our history, we set the precedent that to raise the debt ceiling, uh, it had to be accompanied with spending cuts. And I can't tell you how important it is that we begin to get our fiscal house in order. Uh, we've got to cut, based upon the bold Simpson Commission, about $8 trillion of future spending. We have to cut over the next 10 years. 
just to reach a, 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 a workable platform of uh, the nation's finances for the future. And this was a little over $2 trillion, and we saw how tough this was for uh, policymakers to come up with the, the right mix. We'll spend $3.7 trillion this year, and we'll collect $2.2 trillion. If you eliminated all discretionary spending and all national defense spending, you'd still be $200 billion shy of balancing this year's budget. And the takeaway is, if we're not willing to put everything on the table, talk about how we reform Medicare, talk about how we reform Medicaid, talk about um, the need for simplifying our tax code and reducing rates so that there's equity to get our economy going, then, you know, the, the, the reality is right in our face. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. And I think we've got to do everything we can to turn this economy around but also to make sure that the American people get their money's worth uh, out of what government spends. Uh, but, uh, Senator, what do you think, Senator, what do you think about the, the tenor of the debate here? Uh, a, a few days ago, it was leaked out that Vice President Biden uh, used the word hostage, and uh, he was uh, beaten up for that. And then yesterday, Senator McConnell... Of, of your party actually embraced the word and said, uh, yeah, this is how we get things done. We, we got to take this thing hostage and, and we got to get it done. And, uh, here we are. We're, we're, we're at a level of uh, acrimony that I can't recall since the Vietnam War in this country. And you're about the same age as I am. You remember those days. Uh, do, do you feel like we're back in that era? Well, I think what this is an indication of is that, uh, um, the issues that we're working on are big issues, and the political divides are, are huge. But at the end of the day, we have to remember that uh, in the United States Senate, there are a hundred of us that are elected to be there to make the right decisions, not to carry a political banner one way or the other, but to make those balls and strike calls uh, when the time's appropriate. Unfortunately, this just drug out way too long. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to put blame on anybody. We're, we're, we're all to blame that we're in the position that we're at. But had the president engaged in January versus mid-July, we should have had this thing well put to bed by the time we got to summer. Instead, Washington, in its typical historical fashion, waits until the end where there's a deadline and it, 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 it to some degree adds some suspense to it. Well, what it does is it makes us stay in Washington too much, work too many hours, say stupid things, and some of these comments that you're hearing are the result but, of that. It shouldn't be like that. But you, you said a moment ago that uh, your job is to uh, call balls and strikes, call them as you see them, not necessarily be tied to any specific uh, ideological poll one way or the other, yet uh, you and, and a couple hundred other folks in the Congress signed this no-tax pledge with Grover Norquist, last time I checked, elected by no one, and, and that ties your hands, and I like to think that, that everybody is better than that, that, that uh, you are tied to an ideology of, I can't raise taxes under any circumstances for any reason, including wars, including tax cuts, including anything isn't this whole pledge thing completely out of control? Well, two things. I, I said carry a political banner. Uh, I can't separate myself from what I believe. And um, my ideology uh, isn't necessarily driven by the party I'm affiliated with. It's influence, certainly. That's how you choose which party you run under. 
But uh, understand that uh, Grover's pledge, uh, I embrace. I don't want to raise taxes. I don't want to increase the tax burden on the American people. I don't think that that's good for the economy. I actually think it's bad. Having said that, Grover might not agree with me that I believe you can do away with loopholes. I believe that you can simplify our tax code. I believe that you can actually drive down the rates of, of tax rates on the American people and on corporations. Now, he would suggest that if you took away a deduction, that that's a tax increase. Right. And, and he and I will have a separation on that. So if, if under his definition, I would break the pledge. I'd do it in a heartbeat. Senator, what about the argument that the cuts that were made are going to be uh, disproportionately tougher on middle-income and lower-income Americans? Well, I would make this statement. If we do the right thing, every American will feel what we do. Um, I think that expresses the severity of where we are. But from a standpoint of um, the the one uh, the 917 billion, uh, I don't think it's disproportionately going to be felt by 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 any uh, socioeconomic group um, more than than another. Uh, I think when you look at the the, the cuts, the, the majority of the cuts uh, affect national security, um, either defense or or security, and that's a that's a global uh, outlook. Uh, it'll be difficult to to figure this whole thing out, and I think the committee of of twelve members is going to have a challenging task in front of them. Uh, we just saw the group of six uh, in the United States Senate work for over a year uh, to reach the agreement that they had. Uh, these folks have a little over sixty days uh, to achieve one third of the savings that the group of six came up with. And I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. Before we get to the, the phone calls, I did a couple of people, including Ed, on our Twitter account, Brad and Britt. He wanted to know if you would discuss the FAA mess. I guess we have not had FAA authority for something like 12 days. Do you think it's right that Congress should adjourn with such a big issue being left on the table? Uh, listen, we adjourned because um, we couldn't get an agreement uh, to move forward. Uh, the president called for us to come back. If 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 they'll get an agreement, uh, we'll go back in a heartbeat. But I'm not sure that the American people disagree with the fact that we've got a handful of airports around the country that we subsidize the airline tickets so that carriers will fly into those airports. Uh, one uh, airport, we subsidize up to $3,700 a ticket so that they have air service. Um, we're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, in airports that we have no business being part of. And, again, if you, do you choose between subsidizing an airline ticket or do you choose to fund Medicare or Medicaid? Those are the choices we're down to, and you can't do both. So I, I think this decision is, uh, even though it's uh, a dislocation to construction workers and to FAA workers, uh, we've got to get our priorities in Washington right and we ought to do away with these subsidies tomorrow. But we, we can't forget the political tone of this argument. Most of those airports apparently are in uh, uh, heavily Democratic districts uh, represented by Democratic uh, senators or representatives. So <laughs> nothing is as pure as it ever sounds. No, and actually, actually a lot of them are in Republican districts, but, but Senate-controlled states. And uh, this has been, this has been tough on some of the House guys who represent those uh, those cities. Uh, none of them happen to be in North Carolina. Uh, we pay our way here. Mm. 
right, uh, let's get a few calls in here for Senator Richard Burr, gracious enough to uh, get up early. Because uh, normally, since you're, you're not in Washington, you'd be uh, boating and fishing and, and playing <laughs> oh, yeah. tennis and <laughs> doing all the kinds of things like that, right? Yeah, that's a, that's a pipe dream <laughs> in my house. Nice. All right, let's uh, start here with uh, caller James for Senator Richard Burr. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Senator. This is James out of Youngsville. I call a lot on the show. Thank you all for this time. Um, Mr. Bird, you've been in the Senate um, for 17 or 18 years? Yes, sir, 17. Okay. Um, under Clinton, the tax rate was uh, raised I mean, probably about a 3%, and um, we didn't go off the cliff. So I'm just trying to figure out why in 2011, if it was raised to back to that, or the wealthy Americans, what would be wrong with that? Well, uh, James, the proposal that uh, uh, you would put in place is that anybody over $200,000 would experience some type of tax increase. And uh, that would be felt by not just individuals, it would be felt by small businesses who are taxed under an individual rate. Um, about 50% of small businesses, uh, about 70% of small business employees, would then be affected with tax increases at a time that I think we've got the worst economy in my lifetime. And I think rather than debate what rates we should raise, I think we should focus on how we reduce all the rates in our system, do away with the deductions so that um, whether you're a small business uh, being taxed as a corporation in Greensboro and you're paying 32 to 30 five percent in taxes and you look at GE a large corporation that paid no taxes and and you say that's not fair well that's exactly right it's not fair and we've got to bring equity into the system where big and small are treated the same way and that we don't have businesses that are created and make decisions just based upon where a federal subsidy is or where we create uh, some type of tax deduction the same is true with individuals up to a point. I think that we need to still embrace mortgage deduction and charitable contributions. But from the standpoint of everything else, let's get rid of it. And let's get a system that takes less from us. I think the net result that we're trying to achieve is that we receive more money, more revenue into the federal government because uh, we've got more Americans at work. Certainly, John Kennedy, when he took office and reduced the tax rate on the upper end from 70% to about 50% at the time, experienced tremendous revenue growth. And I think what we've got in Washington right now is the balance between what should be the tax policy of the future and what do we need to do to get this economy going and to get uh, big and small business back hiring people. And uh, I think right now the only way we do that is to have a massive overhaul of our, our tax system. Uh, let's get uh, Ricky on here with uh, Senator Burr. Ricky, Brad and Britt Show, good morning. Hey, guys, good morning, Senator. Uh, first off, I'd like to commend you on co-sponsoring the cut, cap, and balance. Uh, that's the deal I wish went through, but I guess it, it wasn't going to happen with the Senate. Um, having said that, I think the Republicans' messaging is killing them. I don't think they're getting the message out to people in a simple way, like... I don't hear enough talk about baseline budgeting, about how the, the U.S. budget basically goes up 8% every year automatically to all the programs and all the agencies. So when someone says we're going to cut this much over so many years, we're not cutting anything. We're, 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 we're trimming the growth a little bit. That's all we're doing. And I don't think most people understand that. So 
I think the messaging has to be a little sharper and it has to be pounded down. Like the Democrats seem to get these little buzzwords across, you know, calling uh, us Tea Party people terrorists and holding hostage. And you hear it on every every mainstream media newscast and you hear it from every politician, every Democrat politician. And I think we don't have to do it that way, name calling, but we have to get those buzzwords and that pound in these certain things that make people, you know, the light bulb okay, go Okay, all right, Ricky, let's let the work. senator get in here and comment. Go ahead. Well, Ricky, you bring up a great point, and, and that's why I said earlier that what we're trying to do is we're trying to grow, slow the growth of, of spending because uh, the Congress of the United States does work with baselines that cook in uh, automatic increases on an annual basis. I think Tom Coburn's best analogy is that uh, with the $1.2 trillion cut, that actually uh, slows it to where we're only going to spend about $286 billion um, over that 10-year period. But here are the hard, cold facts about where we are. In addition to what we just did, uh, which is going to achieve hopefully about $2.4, $2.5 trillion in spending reductions, we've got to cut about $8 trillion more in the next 10 years for us to get to that debt-to-GDP uh, ratio. And we've got to do it at a time that the global economy absolutely stinks. Uh, Europe may implode before this is over. Japan still uh, runs a growth rate that's less than 1%. Uh, somehow we've got to do this with a limited ability to export because of the limited markets uh, that are alive today. And if we don't do it, then our debt becomes such a burden that uh, we divert money from what we would all agree is a, an appropriate federal expenditure, Medicare, Medicaid, some other programs, we have to divert it over to interest on the debt. And um, if you look today, we're averaging about 2.49% financing our sovereign debt in this country. Our historical number is more like 5.6%. So if we just reached the historical number, we would have a doubling of our interest obligation right now, and that would put America in in a desperate situation. Senator Jason and Kerry tweets this question. He wants to get your feelings about the, the fair tax. Well, Jason, uh, I'm a supporter of the fair tax, the flat tax. I'm a supporter of anything other than where we're at today. <laughs> I don't think we can go from where we are to the fair tax in one step or to the flat tax in one step. But I do believe, as uh, the Bold Simpson Commission and the Gang of Six proved, you can have massive simplification of our tax code, rate reduction, collapse it to three rates in the country for all individuals, one rate for corporations, and the net result is that you would do more to spur economic growth and job creation than any single thing that we could do in the federal government. So it's my hope that that simplification would be a step in the right direction to where down the road, year, two years, five years, uh, we could get to a fair tax or to a flat tax, or there may be a decision to go to a value-added tax uh, like most of the rest of the world. If you were forced to make a decision, would you prefer flat or fair? I'd probably prefer fair today because I believe that fair incorporates a degree of, of, of uh, uh, tax on consumption. And I, I think when you look at the rest of the world that we're influenced, we influence the way they set up their revenue collection system. They have gone to consumption uh, versus any type of income tax. And I think for our manufacturers to be competitive in a global marketplace, uh, you can't really pre-tax their goods before they sell into that marketplace. We're much better off 
taxing it on consumption. And that way we don't have this question of foreign profits staying abroad. Everything comes back here because there's an incentive to do it. Uh, Senator Burr, we thank you very much for getting up early for us here today. Guys, I'm sorry that uh, it took me so long to get on. No problem. No problem whatsoever. Let's do it again. If it's Thursdays, it must mean it's Brad Garrett Day, ABC News crime and terrorism consultant, FBI guy. Now, a lot to talk about with Brad in just a few minutes. Well, last Brad, why is Casey Anthony attracted to the Ohio State Buckeyes in their gear? I'm sorry, that will be the last topic we'll bring up with him, and we probably won't have time to... <laughs> To get to that, I saw that yesterday, and I. This is one of those stories, and it's very similar to when any crime is committed. The first thing you think is, I hope it isn't one of us. Yeah, exactly. You know? exactly. I hope it isn't one of my group, whether it's the religious group, whether it's the racial group, whether it's the ethnic group. Don't let it be one of our people getting caught. And sure enough, That's exactly right. This was one of my people who wasn't one of my people wearing my. Ugh, where, you know, for the last three weeks, where's Casey Anthony? She shows up in Columbus around the Ohio State campus shopping at some clothing store buying Ohio State gear. Uh, probably headed over to the stadium to buy individual tickets for... <laughs> For games to attend Buckeyes games, she the, the news didn't get to her apparently that the oh not this year bad year for the oh, but, the, but again uh, why why do I have to have Casey Anthony associated with the place I went to school didn't need that it would be as if if she was hanging around Chapel Hill. Yeah. She and Butch Davis having lunch together. Franklin Street. Somewhere over, over at Bredman's or something. You, you, oh, Mama Dips hosted Butch Davis you, and Casey Anthony chatting it up. You would have been mortified. Uh, that's how I feel. Don't go to Columbus. I, I know this is the Ohio State Fair this week, so maybe oh, that's why she, wants, hey, to be, she wants to see the butter cow. Oh, absolutely. You know, the butter cow is so much fun to see. Why don't you eat a funnel cake? Let's <laughs> eat two of them. Those guys at uh, that morning zoo station, the one that found that homeless guy, the one that really yeah, 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 they they have a, a promotion they're doing. This is always a great idea. They're offering ten thousand dollars to Casey Anthony if she will not wear any Ohio State paraphernalia, hats. I think she has to wear Michigan stuff. <laughs> I think it has. Yeah, it has to go that far. Yeah, yeah. If she'll switch sides. Is there any way to combine yeah. the Ted Williams guy from back in earlier in the year in January? He's with the guy this? with the great voice yeah. that they found on the streets of the Columbus. Yeah. When you're looking for the best in baby killers, you're looking for Casey Anthony. Yeah. Can they put them together? Could be. Sounds like a uh, PR guy's dream there. When you're looking for the best miscarriage of justice, you're looking that, at Casey yeah, Anthony. I, uh, I, I couldn't believe it. If she could come down here, you know, we have a tax-free weekend about to occur. <laughs> You could buy some of that clothing for, uh, you know, six point seven five percent less than it would otherwise cost you. Is the is the tax free weekend thing? Has it seen its day, or are we now stuck in it the way we were sort of forced into getting a lottery because people were running over to Tennessee and down to South Carolina, up to Virginia right. to buy lottery tickets, and we were losing millions of dollars. So we said it, it's easier to just join them than to try to beat them. And I think that's what happened with the tax-free weekend concept where it was already occurring in South Carolina. So, um, you know, people on the border were running over there, you know, Mecklenburg County, that whole area. 
And we thought, well, we better get on board with that, too. But it's been 10 years of tax-free weekend stuff, and the state finds itself you know, pretty far in the hole here trying to balance its budget. So is it worth giving up $14.5 million in tax revenue for this tax-free weekend? And look, if, if you're in the sweet spot where you're buying clothing for your kids, having to buy computer equipment, things like that, it's, it's a pretty good deal. Although, if I were a retailer, you know what I would do? What are you going to do? I would definitely make sure that I cut my prices by 6.75% next weekend and said to everybody, you know, it's such a hassle to go this weekend. The stores are so crowded. It's so irritating. Come next weekend to to our place. That's a great idea. Well, I'm I'm guessing I'm not the first person to think of that because usually when I think of something and it's already... Well, you do the thing. But, yeah, but, but, you do the thing where I'll, I'll pay your sales tax. Don't worry yeah. about going out when everybody else is doing it. I'll, I'll pay it for you the next weekend. Yeah, that mm-hmm. is a, that's a super idea. And I, I actually haven't heard that one because if you've been in the stores this weekend, it is you do pay a price for the money that you save in pain and suffering at some store. I mean, the lines really do get long, and it's kind of onerous. And how much is your time worth? You get into that whole equation here. We do have. State Senator Richard Stevens, Republican, Wake County, who's saying, man, I would postpone the tax-free weekend now. Not postpone it for a few weeks. Just put it on ice right now because of the fiscal situation that the state finds itself in. Do you agree with him? 866-482-1011. 866-482-1011. Or is this something now that won't go away? Is this like the... The home mortgage deduction. You try to take it away, it's like trying to, to grab a, you know, a, a bone from your dog when they're really going at it and they, they, they start growling at you. They want to chew your arm off. Oh no, we got our tax free weekend. No, you can't take that away from us. This is a really good way to get a lot of moms angry at you if you're a politician. Because a lot of moms are in charge of doing the shopping for going back to school. And if they see a politician as trying to take this little bit away from them, it doesn't save them a great deal of money, but it's just a little thing. And at a time when, you know, you're just making it, that's a tough argument to oh, make. Wait, this is the same argument. It's a hard argument to make, man. That you have over raising the uh, highest income tax rate. Is it really a hike in income taxes, a, a tax hike, if you go back to the same rate that we had 10 years ago? 11 years ago. Many of us say no. Some people say yes. Is it a tax hike in North Carolina if we don't have one weekend where there is no sales tax charge? Is that a tax hike? According to the Grover Norquist definition, of course it is. But it's not. You can tie yourself up in rhetorical knots on this forever. But here we go. Oh, but the benefit to the state is minimal. The benefit to individual families, I think, is it's it's just psychological right now. If the families feel like they can get anything possible that's done in their favor, it's so different because they feel like they're just getting kicked all the time. So just to have one weekend where you don't have to worry about it, I don't see anybody having the courage to try to take this one away. So you're going a little bit more populist on this, and uh, if you make it a comparison to the 
the uh, upper income rates, which came down during the uh, George Bush administration, and now are staying down at least until 2012, and then that will be the next big. That won't be the next big fight. It'll be about the second or third big fight down the, the yeah. line. Can you imagine the commercials that we uh-huh. made against, for example, if Bev Perdue ever said that she wanted to hold back on the tax, tax-free tax weekend for a couple of years? Can you imagine the commercials that will be run against her next year? Politically, it's death. But that's the insanity of this monkeying around with tax rates in this way. Because once you do it, you're locked into that. That has to be the rate. has to be... Even for one out of 52 weekends a year. Can't ever change it. Hmm. No matter what the situation is. I don't care what the facts are on the ground. I don't care how far in the hole it is. I don't care how many teachers would get laid off or policemen would be fired for the $14 million. I don't care. Because I want to get a shirt that costs me $45 and I want to save the uh, $2 and some in, in tax. I got to say, I got to do it. I don't care. Steve, Brad and Britt show. Hello. Good morning. Uh, you know the uh, you know that's minuscule in the scope of things as far as one weekend, as far as uh, giving a free tax break for going back to school. You know, and every little bit helps for people that are trying to buy clothes, school supplies, and so forth. But one thing that you you really haven't commented on was in July, uh, the sales tax was reduced by one percent. You know, it was um, right. 7.75, now it's 6.75. Well, that 1%, you know, with our budget constraints in the state, multiple millions of dollars, mm-hmm. uh, which we should have not uh, done that. We should have just left it alone. Everybody was used to paying that sales tax. Oh, but the, the Republicans whipped Bev Purdue on that one because that was a temporary tax rate and she kept it going. Well, you know, we didn't have, we, we could have just left it alone and that would help our budget crisis. No, but, you can't. If you do that, then that's a tax increase. Yeah. Even if it's uh, maintaining the same rate at the higher rate, even though it was considered to be temporary. But then what is it? I know. I hear you. Well, you can look at it that way, but the problem is is now we're in even worse shape than we were. I know. know, We don't want to pay for anything. We want everything. We don't want to pay for it. That's exactly right. And Thank you. Have a good day. Thank yeah. you. Man, I, I don't understand how that's personal responsibility is getting stuff and not paying for it. It's not personal responsibility at all. It's not personal responsibility to fight wars and not pay for them. Yeah. It's not personal responsibility to have a Medicare prescription drug plan and not pay for it. It's not personal responsibility to have tax cuts in place forever that help drive a deficit. That's not personal responsibility, but it's all your Definition of what personal responsibility is all about. I understand that. Welcome to talk radio. It's not personal responsibility if your income is $23,000 a year and you're not paying the same income tax rate as someone who makes 100000 That's an abdication of personal responsibility here in the wonderful world of demagogue talk radio. Those are the people who are really making out. Yeah. The 23 grand? Oh, yeah. What a good time they're having. Oh, yeah. Party on. Life is sweet for them. Here's the ABC crime and terrorism consultant and uh, FBI alumnus Brad Garrett. Brad, good morning. Good morning, guys. Uh, we were just talking before the commercial break about um, North Carolina being short on money, and we have a tax-free weekend coming up here to buy school supplies and things associated with it. It's about $14 million that will not be collected people move their shopping 
to, uh, to, to save the money, and uh, understandably so, that it does affect behavior. But on a larger scale, you're looking at what's going on with uh, upcoming budget cuts, uh, some of the things that were just decided the other day in the Congress with the debt ceiling um, negotiations, and uh, individual communities have to pick up the uh, slack here on, on crime and associated subjects, correct? Correct, and the reality is they're not going to be able to do it. Uh, you're going to seize, I think, specialized units, maybe crime suppression, uh, maybe gang units, things that the police department maybe gets funding from outside the, the city or the county. Um, you're going to see those disappear. You're going to see the overtime that they're paying homicide detectives to work those extra hours to really solve that case. You're going to see that. It's already disappearing in cities. Mm. Um, training. Is, is, is disappearing in these departments because they just believe they can't sustain levels of training. And you think about not training the SWAT team, not training your, um, your crime scene people that go in and collect evidence because that, obviously, that technology evolves all the time. Uh, you know, that doesn't bode well for solving cases and, more importantly, solving them correctly. You're going to see longer response times in some cities uh, by the police. I also think you're going to see the actual structure of the police departments change. They're going to have to get away from the model like the military where you have so many people in management. They're going to have to basically flatten the system because uh, <clears throat> I don't think they're going to have any choice. They're going to have to move more people out into operational jobs and less in admin positions. Some people would think that that could be a bit of a, that could be a positive out of this. I think that's a positive. You're also going to see more, uh, non-sworn people investigating cases. Some cities in California are already doing it. They're hiring civilians to investigate non-violent crimes. So, to save money. So you're going to see more of that. You may see people like me come back and do volunteer work, actually, actually working active cases in some jurisdiction, I suspect. Um, would, you, would you wear a Brad and Britt T-shirt while you're out? <laughs> please, sure. Happy to do that. Thank you. I, Thank you. I just wonder, and I don't even know if the violent crime and the things that you mentioned are even the whole ball game here. We talk about uh, cyber attacks. Other countries are ramping up their cyber attacks, and I don't know if we're going to have a lot of funds available to do anything about it. Well, that's right, and it some of these areas and cyber crimes a good example is. Uh, I think there's going to be more pressure placed on the feds. Because I don't, I'm not convinced they'll cut the intelligence budget uh, like they're cutting other types of budgets, which is a whole other story about how much money and waste is spent there. Uh, not that it's it clearly is important, but it also needs to be tightened up uh, as to how it spends money. But yes, you're exactly right. We're going to see some big changes, and uh, there's going to be many citizens that are not going to be happy people at the end of the day as far as what the police can provide them. Uh, we're talking to Brad Garrett here on FM Talk 101.1 WZTK. And now to the D.B. Cooper story. I saw you on TV yesterday. I saw you keep a complete straight face while you were talking about this. I mean, you, with us, you can be you, can be you but I know on TV you got to play it 100% straight here. Like, who's thought about this story for years? And it kind of pops up like, uh, like, like annual flowers. It just comes back every once in a while, and nothing gets settled. No, and there have been a number, obviously, in 40 years, the agents have worked, a number of other people that have fit a profile much similar to this quote-unquote L.D. Cooper. Now, uh, her story has has merit if you can take it into the second inning of the game. In other words, 
there when DB Cooper jumped out of the plane, he had on a a clip-on tie and he pulled it off and it was left in the plane. In 2007, the bureau extracted DNA from that tie. This uh, this Marla Cooper, uh, who's claiming her uncle is DB Cooper, uh, provided apparently a, a guitar strap that hopefully the Bureau can pull DNA off of. So we'll see if that, and there were a number of fingerprints taken out of the plane, uh, see if they can match it up. And if that's the case, then maybe you've got something here. But if not, this this fits another uh, of the many long list of people that uh, claim to be D.B. Cooper. Well, this has been going on for 40 years. Could, could you have, I mean, it, it occurs to me, that the FBI was so hell-bound, uh, hell-bent on trying to figure out a way to solve this thing, somebody could literally enter the FBI in 1971 and say, okay, you're assigned to the D.B. Cooper case. They could retire from the FBI and really not have ever developed a lead or gotten anything important on the case. Could that have happened? Well, it probably did happen. Uh, I, I think these type of cases tend to generate a lot of leads, and most of them are worth nothing, but you have to look into them. So I suspect over the years, I mean, even what's publicly reported, in fact, there's a new book, the guy they had on with me yesterday. Ronald Kessler. No, it wasn't Kessler. It was another guy who's written a book on D.B. Coo- on, yeah. on, on that whole case, okay. and he, he apparently had access the FBI gave him access to their files. And so I think he probably talks about, I've not looked at the book, but I think he talks about all these various scenarios and characters that the FBI has basically eliminated over the years. We, we did talk to Ronald Kessler earlier this week, and I'm just wondering, when you got to the Bureau, did they give you a pep talk about J. Edgar Hoover and all this rah-rah stuff? Uh no, because it was just a, it, was, it was enough years beyond that we didn't we didn't get rah rahed by uh, about anybody. Good. Not about Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. either. Uh, no, nor nor should we dress like him. <laughs> right, 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 right. Uh, we just got a couple minutes here, Brad. Uh, there was a story earlier this week, and it's uh, come to a sad end. The Selena Cass story. The uh, young girl was that uh, was that Massachusetts. That was uh, in northern New Hampshire. New Hampshire, very very close by here, where uh, she was missing for a few days, and then they found her body. What what pushes a story to the national level to where we we hear about it? Because there are so many missing kids all the time. What 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 changes? I, I think what happens is that you you have a this, in this case an eleven year old uh, that that literally disappears. Mm-hmm. It takes the police a couple of days maybe to get really cranked up uh, about it. It got some initial, it got a lot of press play initially, and, and for whatever reason, then it grew upon itself at that point. Uh, and the police weren't talking. I think that also intrigues the media sometimes as well. They must know a lot more. There's This is much more nefarious than we think because they're not. Uh, and it grew at that point. And, you know, unfortunately, <clears throat> it's still a case that's unresolved. Is this a homicide um, or is this uh, an accidental death of some sort? Did she just leave the house that night? It remains to be seen. <clears throat> Earlier I was talking to somebody, I think, in Maine that believed that she was found wrapped in a blanket. If that's true, <clears throat> if she was taken out of the river wrapped in a blanket, then obviously you've got some, you got, you've got a homicide. Mm. Terrible, terrible story. Brad, thanks for coming on with us. You're welcome. Anytime. That's uh, ABC's Brad Garrett, crime and terrorism consultant, and uh, many, many years, of course, in the FBI himself. Okay? This is, I don't know whether you consider this to be uh, unseemly or not, and frankly, I don't care. 
But one day this may affect you. It could happen to you, as it happened to me last week when my dad died. And, you know, he lived down in Florida for the last 35 or so years of his life and, you know, lived uh, the first 35 years or so of his life up in Columbus, Ohio. So when somebody dies, you want to put an obituary, you know, from in his hometown, and then you put it where he's been living, right? Makes sense. No big deal. So we leave it to the uh, oldest brother. I'm the middle son. We leave it to the oldest brother to write the obituary, and he uh, emails it to us. Of course, I said, I wish you would have sent it by snail mail <laughs> so I could have waited four days to get to it. To keep the post office in business. Exactly. Because they're so important. He decided to, to email it to me anyway. <laughs> and uh, it was very nicely written, short and to the point, but had some, some cute little things about our father. And then he says, well, I went to the Fort Lauderdale Sun Sentinel, which would have been the paper to put it in, and they wanted $700. <laughs> To run this. And then the Clark Howard in me went off. It didn't have to because he said, there's no way we're going to pay this. So he shortened it up, and I think they've got it down to about 200 for what is a... I mean, I'm telling you, it, it can't be more than 150 words, which is nothing. Right? That's, that's just a nothing little obituary. It doesn't tell you much about the guy at all. And we haven't checked with the newspaper in Columbus, Ohio, which, you know, would have to not devote so much space to Casey Anthony shopping for Ohio State gear right. to devote it to an obituary, but I'm sure it'll be equally expensive. And I bring this up with my wife, and she says when her dad died a couple years ago, and they'd lived in the New York area forever, uh, they wanted to put an obituary in the New York Times. I'm thinking, whoa, well, if it's 700 to go in the stupid Fort Lauderdale paper, paper what could it possibly be <laughs> to run just a normal size average obit in the New York Times? The answer is it was high enough that they just didn't run it. My wife and her sister, they just they it, they couldn't justify it. It was just too much money. Now here's a guy that subscribed to that paper probably for sixty years. Don't they owe that to you? Well, After yeah. you die, at least at least give you thirty yes. percent off or something. I mean, give you a break on it. If if you were gunned down in a liquor store robbery, your name would be all over the New York Times local section. You'd get you'd get the the pub, right? I wonder. But if though, you die an honorable death, you get nothing unless you pay them. Part of the argument has to be what would the deceased want, and if you if you can look yourself in the face and go, yes, my mother or my father would have wanted me to spend fifteen hundred bucks. Yeah. On obituaries, I, I don't think many people could. I think there are most people would say, "Don't even spend you know twenty bucks. If you spend twenty bucks, great. Over that, don't get it done. I don't care. Just post it on your Facebook profile." Well, first of all, if it comes down to spending it, you know, for a one day little thing in a newspaper, versus giving the money to a worthy charitable cause in that person's name, I don't even think it's a contest at all. It's not even close. Now, someone's, well, you should do both. You should do both. The the pit is not bottomless. It just isn't. I just got to feel like the newspapers are pricing themselves out of the game. They are. They're going to do in this area what they've done in a lot of other areas, which is advertising gets sucked up by other media that have come along 
and their response is to raise prices. Hey, there's a good idea. I mean, I'm no supply-side economist here, but I can tell you this. If uh, you drive your advertising rates up, you don't get more of it. (laughs) You just don't. So where they get off thinking of, you know, two paragraphs is worth $700. You could be the next Angie's list. You could be the next Craigslist. Hmm. Brad's list will be a list of obituaries from all over the country. Maybe there's already one out there. Maybe there's already an online freebie thing. There has to be. You know what? Let's investigate that. Let's figure that one out. Because a friend of mine who died, oh, three, four years ago, uh, the funeral home had, you know, they, they all, they all have a thing. Yeah. But they, you gotta know to go there. You gotta know that the person died. And then people post little things. And of course, Facebook comes along. Yeah. Changes everything. Right. So you could set up a Facebook page for them. You know, they, they set up Facebook pages now for the, for the peacock in Central Park. <laughs> You know, for the lost egg in Idaho. Yeah, the so. bear, that bear that was in Greensboro had a Facebook page. Yeah. That was on the look. I, I think in our society, you better try to hone down an obituary in 140 characters. Oh, <laughs> tweet it out? That's your, that is your Twitter. Yeah, but that's, that's wrong. You no. know that's wrong. Of course that's wrong, but I, you know, you can't fight but fashion. But you're not. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was a great yeah. album by the Michael Stanley band back in the 80s. You can't fight fashion. You yeah. can't. I mean, that, that's where we're headed. That's where we are. Hey, Jeff, you're on the Brad and Brit show. Hello. Hey, I ain't heard the word Michael Stanley band in 30 years. Oh, you're welcome. Um, let me tell you this. News and record. Love the paper. Have gotten it delivered to my house since 1981. If you die, you should get a free obit. Over 30 uh, years subscription, they shouldn't charge you a dime. By the way, this is the first time I've ever heard somebody say the words news and record followed by love the paper. I've never heard that. I've been around here for years. Well, I mean, it, it's fun reading when I'm in my... Um, Office at home, I guess you'd say. I guess. But um, I canceled it two months ago. Okay. I can't. My two things I read, I read the front page, I read the editorials, I read the sports page, and I read the comics. That's all I read. That's enough. So you can't, they're, they're okay with that. They're, they're fine. I can't read the comics no more. They're too small. <laughs> In other words, your eyes are failing you, aren't they, Jeff? No, I mean, come on. I mean, my eyes are getting bad. I'm 48 years old now, guys, but not that bad. They shrunk the paper a few months ago, and they made them so small, you literally cannot read them. Well, for an extra 50 bucks a year, they'll make your cartoons bigger. Sounds like Andy Rooney, doesn't (laughs) it? does, really. (laughs) You know what I hate about the paper? I hate the comics too small. I can barely see the freckles on Bill Bailey's face. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I challenge anybody to pick up a paper and try reading Doomsbury in the comics because they put so many words in there, you know, balloons, and you just can't read them, man. Okay. Hello, Les. Good morning. Morning. How are you doing today? Okay. Yeah, yeah my comment is that the newspapers are going to end up kind of like the funeral homes. Used to be there were a lot of uh, family-owned funeral homes, but they all got bought up by these conglomerates, and what happened? Funerals got so expensive, nobody can afford them anymore. Mm. I know when my uh, brother-in-law died a couple of years ago, uh, family had no money at all because he had been on uh, Medicare, Medicaid for years. Mm-hmm. The only choice they had was, you know, the family had to chip in a bunch of money, which none of them really had, or... 
they go the least expensive route, which was cremation. And, you know, with being able to get so much news on the Internet now, who needs a newspaper? Well, they're going to accelerate the drive downward by doing things like this. Yeah. I think. Well, that's for sure. I mean, well, they, they still feel like they're the only game in town when it comes wow. to this stuff. I mean, that's that's what they got. You know what this was like many years ago. That's, that's so far gone in the past. But you remember what they used to charge for a classified ad back when they were the only game in town? You know what they used to charge for advertising in the newspaper when they were the only, not the only game in town, but when they were much more of a player than they are now? Yeah. Who says you need to use the daily newspaper? Right. Most areas have a weekly. Yeah. Right. But uh, I'm not here to bash the daily paper, whatever, whether you're in Raleigh or in Greensboro or Winston-Salem, per se, because I think that, again, that, that we lose something if we lose our newspapers. I think that they they still have a heft to them that no other local news organization, radio or television station, is willing to commit, even with diminished staffs and even with diminished budgets. They still have... In, in, in a, a decent-sized city, they will still have a hundred or more reporters going out to cover a city, and and we don't even come close. The rest of us, we sit here and take pot shots at them, and think that some jerk on a blog can cover local news the way they can. Well, so you, you'll rue the day when they when they go under. You don't want that. You well, want them to be vibrant, but you don't have to do it if they, if if it's if it's only going to survive because you rip off. Families of people who've died for an obituary. Yeah, then may, maybe a time has come and gone. So these, these are, this is all part of the same thing. These are all part of the practices that make it difficult to really kind of sympathize with them. But I, you know, I, I'm with you. I don't think a blogger with a staff of one is going to be able to do the kind of coverage that, that newspapers are going to be able to. And we do kind of lose. There are just some things that will not get covered. There are some city council, county commissioner meetings, something that's just not going to be able to be covered. It's so true. then what are the politicians going to do when nobody's watching them? But I'm already feeling a lot better here. We've not gotten any hint that the Krantz brothers are being exceedingly cheap. <laughs> we haven't gotten any of that, have we? Well, I can't justify. I mean, if this was a great economy, if this was 1996, and people were making money at the wazoo. I don't even think you could justify $700 for an obituary. I don't think anybody should be saying, Brad, suck it up and pay. I would love to find out. It would take a little bit of investigating here. Just how much it costs to run in the real large metropolitan dailies. Like a Washington obituary. Post, yeah. New York Times, Los Angeles yeah. Times. Yeah. Uh, papers that circulate 800000 or a million. Because well, if, they, if they think they can hit you for 700 bucks for a paper... That circulates, you know, one hundred and twenty thousand. It, it, it can't be six thousand dollars for an obit, and who's going to pay that? Who's paying that? Well, they could do the thing that uh, you're never supposed to do, and that is to buy a deal in advance. Like, like you're able to, oh. to buy your, you're able to buy your funeral in advance, which I think Clark always says don't do. Right? He's he's against trying to do that. Sure. So if you bought it in advance, okay, we're only going to charge you three fifty, half price. But if you wait until you die, you got to give us the money now. 
So we'll be able to do whatever we want to and earn interest with it until you die, whenever that might be. That's not the worst idea in the world. But if you, you know, if you wait until you actually die, your family's going to fork over seven hundred. So which do you want to do? It's like college tuition, paying the college tuition for the the kid when they're born. Yeah. Thinking, all right, well, college tuition now is is at eighteen thousand. By the time the kid gets to be eighteen, it, it'll be fifty. So I'd rather fork over the eighteen now and. Uh, that's a pretty good return on my money. Yeah, so you know, I like that. Why like, not do it? You, I can't believe you came up with that idea. Thank it's you. Brilliant. Obituary insurance, ladies you, and gentlemen. Prepay for your obituary today. Brilliant. With the Whitmire Brothers plan, only $300 will get you. Of course, the way things are going, who even knows if the local people, paper will be around? That's the chance that you take. <laughs> who the knows? chance that you take, because think about it. If you go back 30 or 40 years in... Most cities, there were two yeah. or more daily papers. There's usually one now everywhere. So had you paid that money back then, if someone would have developed that idea in 1966 or something, your money would be gone. <laughs> your money would be gone. You, you would be money. better off sitting across the poker table from Alex Rodriguez. It's possible. Hoping to win your money it's back. It's a better rate of return. Exactly, exactly. Bring your uh, Bring your guns there. All right, all right. So we've uh, we've now settled that we're done, and uh, just 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 one more thing, one more thing this this hour. I think the way Jerry Lewis has been treated is disgraceful, disgraceful. Because well, I'm looking off to the left here, and I'm well, seeing lay, the way lay this to you, lay this out so th- people know. We th- don't know the story because th- th- they're portraying this. Uh, uh, he is no longer. The Muscular Dystrophy Association's national chairman, gone. And he will not be on the telethon this year. He's been the uh, national chairman since the early 1950s. He's hosted the Labor Day telethon, of course, since 1966. First it was local in New York, then national not long after that. Or maybe that was the year it went national in 1966. That sounds about right. Two months ago, he said he was retiring as host of the telethon after this year and would make his final appearance this coming Labor Day weekend, September 4th, but would continue being the NBA national chairman suddenly. And you know how it is in corporate America when you get these cryptic announcements of someone no longer with the firm. Oh, yes. That means that they were, you know what, can. Well, we wish Mr. Lewis well in his future endeavors. Uh, the statement is, Mr. Lewis will not be appearing on the telethon, and we will not be replacing him as MDA national chairman. Oh, so you are so dispensable, they're not even going to hire somebody to take your job. Your job was so irrelevant. Jerry Lewis, so irrelevant to the Muscular Dystrophy Association effort all these years. They don't even need to replace him. Was there, I thought Ryan Seacrest was going to take that job over. Or something. I thought <laughs> I, 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 maybe that was something I dreamed up. Piers Morgan. So what it, uh, what it appears is that he has been pushed out. Now, I don't know if that's the case, but they've got a real problem. This is a PR problem. This is because, a PR problem. Because if you don't think that people aren't going to say, uh, the reason I give every year is because, you know, Jerry can put forth the effort and I make the effort. Of course that's the reason. Of course. he. And, and you can make an argument, well, they've wrapped themselves around the personality of one person too much. Fine. That's possible. But, but. You don't get away from it by hacking off, uh, you know, the arms. What was that uh, Monty Python movie where they cut off the oh, arms? It was the Black Knight, yeah, the, <laughs> that first Holy Grail. That, that's what they feel, this what feels like they oh, did to this guy. Get the flesh wound. Did you ever think that you could get real sympathy for Jerry Lewis? Ah! 
there's something wrong with this. I can't believe that public outcry won't bring him back. They couldn't even have the decency to have him come out for a last appearance if they were going to fire him. They couldn't do it. Talk Republican politics here for a few minutes with uh, Justin Elliott of Salon.com. Justin, good morning. Hey, how are you? Hey, pretty good. Good to have you back on. It's been uh, a couple weeks since we last spoke to you. And the yeah, uh, yeah the uh, the Rick Perry Prairathon, which has been uh, talked about for many many weeks here, many many months actually, scheduled for Saturday in Houston, and of course uh, Ticketmaster just swamped. Uh, it's just difficult to get a ticket to this thing. It's a it's a huge sellout. It's massive. Maybe the most uh, important thing since Reverend Moon married uh, all those couples years ago. Okay, I just lied. It's a big bomb, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, it looks like it's shaping up that way. Basically, the idea was, uh, I mean, the whole the whole idea sort of raised eyebrows from the beginning, but Perry basically declared that, uh, you know, the nation is facing so many dire problems that there's really nothing we could do besides pray to God to fix them. Uh, it's really out of, you know, human hands to fix problems of, of this magnitude. So he announced this big day-long uh uh, prayer event at a uh, football stadium in Houston, um, Reliance Stadium, and he said he was inviting every single governor, the other 49 governors in the country, and a bunch of sort of prominent evangelicals, and uh, they're hoping for a big turnout, but uh, so far about only 8,000 people have RSVP'd, and the, and the stadium seats 80,000, so... Uh, if, if those numbers hold, it's going to be, it, it could be, you know, potentially embarrassing that, that you can imagine the images of a basically empty stadium. How many governors are showing up? Uh, either one or zero. <laughs> not counting, not counting Perry. Um, the only, the only governor, the only other governor who has, uh, indicated he may be going is, uh, Sam Brownback of Kansas, former senator, now governor of Kansas. He said, several weeks ago that he was going, but then he was asked about it more recently, and he's kind of wavering and not giving a real answer. You know, probably <laughs> it, it may be that he saw this was shaping up to be a flop, and he didn't want to be associated with it. So it may be actually zero other than Perry. So you have a story out uh, about the execution of a potentially, a possibly innocent man in Texas. Give us some details about this. Sure. So this is... Um, in Texas, sort of one of the most famous or, I guess, notorious chapters in, in Rick Perry's career, basically there's a guy named Cameron Todd Willingham who uh, was convicted of setting fire uh, to his house in 1991 as the fire destroyed his house and killed um, his three young children. Um, he was sentenced to death and... Um, as these things usually do, there was many years of appeals and so on, um, and it came around to the eve of his execution in 2004, and by that time Rick Perry was governor, and uh, some outside scientific experts had been looking at the case closely and had determined that uh, the original arson investigators, uh, the local guys in Texas, really didn't know what they were doing, and... Um, as far as these outside experts could tell, there was actually no evidence of arson, and there was a very real chance this guy, Karen Todd Willingham, was actually innocent. 
So his attorney uh, filed a last-minute request for a stay of execution w with the governor, Perry, uh, in 2004, but Perry um, denied that request, and then um, Willingham was executed. Uh, many people to this day think that he was actually completely innocent. He maintained his innocence up until the very end. Um, and then the case sort of, even after the execution, the case sort of dragged on because there were various state commissions investigating abuses by the investigators. Um, at one point, uh, a couple of years ago, Perry, um, one of these state agencies investigating the case, was about to issue um, a damaging report about it, and Perry fired a couple of the key members of that commission. So it's something that you would think uh, would would hurt him politically that he might have signed off on the execution of an innocent man, but it turns out that that may not actually be the case. So uh, this did become a campaign issue when he faced off against former Senator Kay Bailey Hutchinson in the primary right. for governor last year. Right. So what happened was, um, as you said, uh, Senator Hutchinson was challenging Perry in the Republican gubernatorial primary uh, in 2009-2010, and her campaign that came out uh, yesterday took a close look at this Willingham case, and because they were looking at, you know, using it to attack Perry, the fact that he had potentially at least signed off on the execution of an innocent man, but uh, the, the interesting tidbit that came out this week was that her campaign did a focus group of Republican Texan primary voters and asked about this case, and the response that they got, the quote that they got from one of the respondents was that not only did they not think less of Perry for, for signing off on this execution, but that, quote, uh, it takes balls to execute an innocent man. <laughs> so the Hutchison campaign did briefly bring this up, but did not uh, sort of harp on it too much because it seemed like not only would it not hurt Perry, but might actually help him uh, with the Texas Republican base. Has uh, Justin Elliott of Salon.com is with us. Has Governor Perry been questioned explicitly about this recently? Uh, relatively recently he was. He has mostly been uh, quite quiet about it, but there was an interview a few years ago um, in the context of that primary campaign in which he was asked about it point blank, and uh, he basically has just maintained the entire time that he has no doubt that Willingham was guilty and that he made the right decision. That's basically all he said. Um, now, again, there are many outside arson experts, um, including some that spoke to the state commission investigating uh -huh. the case, that have said that there really is no evidence or there's poor evidence that this guy actually, that there was actually arson. And by the um, way, we should note that there is no racial component to this. Mr. Willingham was white. Okay. White, yeah. Yep, often white we find in, um, in these death row cases that that is the case. Let me let me just read something to you that was tweeted out by politicalwire.com a few minutes ago. The title of this was, Some Question uh, Governor Perry's Electability. As Texas Governor Rick Perry looks increasingly likely to jump into the Republican presidential primary with a splash... Politico notes that in private, some quarters of the party, a sense of apprehension has set in about the prospect of another Texas governor's candidacy. Even operatives who believe Perry would bring significant assets to the 2012 campaign, his job creation record among them, 
they acknowledge there are real doubts about whether a brash southern hardlining hardliner like Perry can win votes in the crucial swing states needed to capture the White House. Many Republicans right. express alarm about the possibility of nominating a man whom several compared to a Saturday Night Live caricature, Will Farrell doing his George W. Bush imitation, as one GOP chairman has said. <laughs> Have you heard about some of these rumblings in your reporting, Justin? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, it's worth noting that Rick Perry was George W. Bush's lieutenant governor in Texas. That was uh, in the 90s. That was um, sort of his first big position in the state of Texas. Um, and I, somebody remarked, I can't remember who, that uh, everything that liberals thought George W. Bush was, like a, a uh, you know, the caricature Texan you mentioned, Rick Perry actually is that. <laughs> um and yeah, I mean, his in terms of his policy record, he's, he's quite far right, um, and that's why I think uh, he is he, getting a lot of buzz in the Republican primary. If he jumps into the primary, which the conventional wisdom is that he will at this point, um, I, a lot of people think he's going to do well because he, you know he slashed um, spending in the state of Texas. He really went after education, um, services for youth and poor people, and all of that sort of thing. Um, on he's extremely socially conservative. Uh, he's a, um, a favorite of the evangelical Christian community. I mean, the prayer event that that I talked about earlier, um, he came out uh, in the announcement for that event and straight up said that everyone in the country needed to pray to Jesus Christ. Now, of course, if you're Christian, that that's all well and good. But for all the people in the country who are not Christian, it sounds a little bit odd for. Uh, a high, you know, high-ranking political leader to to demand that everyone pray to to Jesus. Well, I know Brad is um, sweating a little bit, but that's okay. We'll convert you, Brad. It'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I would just note that there are some people who would say we have a pretty good extension of Bush policies in the White House right now. <laughs> I mean, that uh, you want to go down? You want to enumerate? I can do it. I mean, you can you can laugh all you want to, but there there's quite sure, a bit. But if of, you think if you think if you think Obama's. Uh, too much like Bush. I think Rick Perry is going <laughs> to, I mean, he'll make Obama look like, I don't know, FDR or something like that. Well, it's the policies, <laughs> I mean, really, it's, it's the policies plus, plus the presentation. Sure. You get the optics sure. and you also get the policies as well. Uh, yeah, so. and I mean, and he, and, but, but I mean, look, there, there are real differences. I mean, um, again, you look at a lot of these social issues like, say, abortion, um, you know, any, like the healthcare, healthcare reform, you wouldn't have seen a president Rick Perry uh, do healthcare reform like like Obama does, for example. Yeah. Hey, uh, J Justin Elliott of Salon, about the state of Texas. There, there are two stories about it that that I hear, and I haven't been to Texas for a, a long time. I haven't spent much time there. All I know is kind of the caricature of it, and one of them is, well, it's the one state that's actually created jobs in the last ten years. And boy, do they know what they're doing there. They don't have a state income tax. They cut taxes. They don't waste any money where they don't have to. And people are moving to Texas in droves because they're just begging for people to work and they're still building. And the it's just the greatest place in the world. And the other side is what a disaster that state is. They have ripped apart the entire social infrastructure. And there are more people who don't have high school educations Health care is absolutely in shambles for uh, folks in that state, and uh, you don't want America to look like Texas. 
are, are they both true, or is neither of them true, or are they just both? I old? think they are. I, I, I think um, essentially they are both true. I mean, he will talk about, and if he runs, this will, I'm sure, be part of his core message. The number of jobs in Texas, which is true, have have. Uh, I mean, in terms of just purely looking at the number of jobs, it has performed better than the rest of the country. However, if you scratch beneath the surface at all, you see uh, that those are generally bad jobs. They're incredibly low-paying. They don't have benefits. At the same time, they they have slashed state services to an extent that I think would be um, startling in many other states, too many other states, where uh, class sizes in the schools are are soaring. the uh, number of homeless people has gone up at the same time that um, state funding of homeless shelters has gone has been cut, um, and all of this sort of thing. So yeah, I mean, I think um, sort of oddly, both of those narratives are sort of true. But the question, I mean, thing is, you just need more con. Just talking about the number of jobs doesn't really tell you much. I mean, you need context, um, which his campaign is, you know, not going to offer. Right. All right, uh, Justin Elliott, all about. Uh, Governor Rick Perry. I don't want to say he's the flavor of the month because uh, his name has certainly been out there for a long time, and it's real interesting to see him close in on a decision like another governor who keeps playing footsie with the uh, the press over whether she's running for for a president or not. But he's got that real. He's got that Fred Thompson feel, and he has the whole time. Fred Thompson was going to be the guy that saved the day back in 2008. He was going to be the candidate that swooped in at the last minute. Until you found out about it. And it, bo- and yeah. it bombed. It had no momentum whatsoever. Yeah. And I'll say one other thing. One other thing to keep an eye on here, uh, foreign policy. Huh. Um, a lot of the Republican field up to this point um, has been kind of going away from the Bush-style sort of neoconservative uh, pro-interventionist foreign policy but Perry has been meeting with a lot of Bush's foreign policy advisors as he prepares to, you know, potentially get into the race. I mean, mm. uh, came out last week that he met with uh, Douglas Fife, who some people may remember um, from the Bush years, one of the sort of key architects of the Iraq War. And I believe there was some kind of contact even with Donald Rumsfeld. So Doug Fife <laughs> did some. Far- D- Doug Fife did some major league turd polishing after the fact. About why we went to tour. We had him on. We absolutely did. And boy, was he spinning. I mean, he was spinning like a top. He wrote a whole uh, sort of alternate history (laughs) book about it, which I'm sure must have been what you had him on for. It was. It was a house of mirrors, that thing was, uh, about why we went (laughs) to Iraq and what we knew and why. It it was unbelievable. We're going to love Secretary of State Paul Wolfowitz. (laughs) Sorry. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, so I mean, I think somebody, I I believe it was a general who um, famously called. Douglas fight the, the stupidest effing guy on the planet or something like that <laughs> about his Iraq policy. I mean, this was during the Bush administration. Um, so, yeah, if he gets into it, I think he's going to be the favorite of sort of Bill Crystal weekly standard crowd of the Republican Party. Oh, he is going to be a, a Fox News superstar. He'll be on every show every day for forever. The minute he announces, are you kidding? You won't be able to pry him away from that camera he'll he'll be on so they'll push him now but then this becomes the ultimate question is he a perfect republican primary candidate who would have no chance against president obama who in spite of having you know high 30s low 40s approval rates give me rick perry 
Is that what he's saying? Well, Do you think the Democrats want that? Well, that's the deal with the swing states. That's your Ohio's, your Pennsylvania's, your Michigan's. How's he going to do in those states? And I think you know the answer to that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think, I mean, I think Democrats might, um, might, uh, want to take him on. However, at this point, with the economy the way it is, I don't think you can really say confidently that, um, that no Republican, that any other Republicans, I think, have a real shot. Any of them who get the nomination, has a real shot purely because sure. of the terrible state of the economy, I think it's fair to so. say. Uh, fair point. Important point. Glad you made it, Justin. Thank you. Thank you very much. That is uh, Justin Elliott of uh, Salon.com. What do you think of... You've you've heard enough about him now. He's a good candidate. He's a strong candidate for a lot of people. He'll be a guy who turns Virginia and North Carolina back to red. But, again, the swing states are going to be the whole thing. He'll probably do pretty well in Florida, too. That's going to be a big deal. If he's able to pick up Florida, that would be massive. But, I, again, I don't think in the swing states he's going to be money at all. But do you, do you really want to have the discussion that Obama has not continued some of the Bush era policies? Do you, do you really? Do you really? Of course he, of course he has, okay. because he couldn't touch him. I, because you kind of because he couldn't had a touch smart, him. He had a smart ass retort a couple of minutes ago when I mentioned some of these. Well, I was playing your part for a moment. He, <laughs> yeah, I don't appreciate that. There's only one of us on the show. Eight six six four eight two one zero one one. He's waffling on gay marriage, Brad. He can't even make up his mind on gay marriage. But apparently That's he's got his mind. Hard. He's got his mind made up on secession. No, I'm talking about I'm talking about Obama. Oh, Obama! It's a slam dunk that he should be in favor of gay marriage, but he's that that that. He that's an easy one. That should be nothing. And then I saw this story. Yeah, but that's issue number three hundred and forty on the list of right. priorities so for why people. Do you, so why do you even sweat that? Why don't you go ahead? Yeah, that's one of the because guess what? The tide is turning on that one. Listen to this, and I you may have seen this story from yesterday. Eric Holder. Our attorney general has put state secrets rules in place to prevent the release of information in a lawsuit filed by Southern California Muslims claiming their activities were unfairly monitored by the FBI. State secrets. Does that not sound like Alberto Gonzalez-style stuff? Does that not sound exactly like what the Bush administration was pulling? Well, because it brings up the question, what are you protecting? The hell is that all about? And then they they passed the pay. They, you know, they reauthorized the Patriot Act a few months ago with nary a peep from the White House. They didn't try to insert themselves into that at all. I, I understand that. So I mean, you can't. I understand that. But uh, as uh, everyone who ever gets into the White House and then gets out of it says, or people who are close, they say, if you knew the things that the people who become president know about the world and the country. Uh, you would never campaign and say the things you ever say in a campaign because once you're in there, the world looks a hell of a lot different to you. And you're probably better off that uh, people don't act on every campaign promise that they make. <laughs> For people who whine about people, oh, you made a promise during the campaign. And you know what? If they all lived up to them, uh, we'd be in worse shape. It's, I, I want to know. Who, I want to know who these men are who take the president elect and put him in a room and tell him what it's really like. I'd like to know who these folks are because I hear about these guys a lot. No, let's go. Let's take phone calls. I know I gave you the sign for break, but let's take some phone calls. Oh, I thought you just had something wrong with uh, your your finger there. Yes, I have rheumatoid arthritis. Eight six six four eight two one zero one one. Laura, hello. Hi, I just wanted to say I can't see how anybody could take a person seriously. I'm talking about Rick Perry who talks even elliptically about seceding from the union. How can anybody 
Well, you apparently haven't been watching the correct channel. You're, you're watching. First of all, you're watching the wrong channel. And but 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 second of all, think of all the great literature, the great movies that we got from the first round of Secession. That's a good point. Well, that's true. Yeah. And there wasn't even rock and roll. Look at how music sucks today. What could it do for popular music? Yeah. <laughs> No. I just don't can't see what it would do could do for the popular culture to have somebody who talks about seceding from the union and has days of prayer for rain. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, looking at um, a site called ChristianPost.com. Christian slam Perry for crossing boundaries with Houston Prayer Rally. Um, a whole bunch of uh, religious and community groups in Texas joined the Anti-Defamation League, those are the Jews, in issuing a letter on Tuesday about what they perceive as Governor Perry's public endorsement of one religion over another. By his actions, Governor Perry is expressing an official message of endorsement of one faith over all others, thereby sending an official message of religious exclusion and preference to all Texans who do not share that faith says the ADL in their letter. We believe our religious freedom is threatened when a government official promotes religion, especially one over all others. The letter lists 50 supporters from various Jewish, Muslim, and Christian groups across different denominations. And to that I say shut up and get over it. No, that, that, that's essentially the answer that they're going to be given, and I think they're right. But I would just say always be a little wary of those people who wear their religion on their sleeve like that. That's all. Governor Perry may be a perfectly great guy, but I, I always have a little bit of trepidation when we're talking about somebody who wears their religion on their sleeves so carelessly. I always have a little bit of trepidation about someone with hair that nice running for president. <laughs> yeah, didn't we learn from John Edwards? <laughs> exactly. Didn't we learn anything? <laughs> exactly. Right. He, does, he has what we call in the South as preacher hair. He's kind of got that wavy kind of preacher hair. Yeah. Yeah, I guess he does. You're right. I was thinking more newscaster hair. Well, yeah. There's there's a fine He's line. He's got anchor hair. He yeah. does have good hair. <laughs> Thanks, Laura. Yes. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. So did you get a look at all at the video of the president of uh, Egypt, the deposed president of Egypt, Mr. Mubarak, uh, laying there on his deathbed in a cage on trial with <laughs> with a microphone? <laughs> You remind me of a Neil Diamond at the Greek Theater in 1972, laying down singing Song Song Blue. Crackling Rosie, you're a store-bought woman. You get me going like a jigsaw humming. Play it now. Play it now. <laughs> don't you feel a little sorry for him? I mean, when you when you get away from the people that he's murdered and beaten, don't you feel just a, right. a, a little sorry for him as he goes through the final throes of whatever he's going through now? But now, what is the official reason why they have these guys in cages when they're on trial? Saddam Hussein was in a cage. It looks cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's all. Gives them more cred. We need cred. to have something that's pretty bitching and makes them really just devoid of humanity. How about a tiger cage? <laughs> <laughs> Anybody happen to have one of those? Oh, let's go to eBay. You yeah, gotta order the one from eBay and get it over. 866-482-1011. And by the way, do you know how hard it is to get a tiger cage right now? It's Shark Week. Everybody's going crazy. I mean, there's a real shortage of them. You know what remind me of? Do you remember on uh, SCTV, Second City Television, the 
Perry Como is still alive bit done by Eugene Levy. Vaguely, I do remember. And, 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 you, you know who Eugene Levy is. I mean, he is hilarious, and he's been funny forever. For you younger listeners, he was the father in American Pie. Right. The, the dad in American right. Pie. Um, but uh, he kept getting more and more tired during the uh, three-minute commercial to buy the uh, greatest hits of Perry Como, and by the end of the commercial, he's laying on the floor with his arms by his side, and they've got a mic, and it's just laying there next to his face, and he's singing into it. It's impossible. <laughs> That's what Mubarak reminded me of yesterday. You know, he's just laying there, and they've so, got a mic in front of him. It is so hard for me to send my troops out to even beat people. I do not even have the will to do it anymore. Right. It is so. You know how hard it is to crush democracy day after day for thirty some odd years. Hey, Joe, you're on the Brad and Brit show. Good morning. All right, man. I just don't understand. This guy was some tyrannical leader for what three or four decades, yeah. and and he he thought what? Why did he hang around Egypt once he was uh, deposed? Did he think? Oh, they're going to bring me back. You know, they're going to put me back in office. Did you see his pad at Sharm El Sheikh? I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah, but he could have gone anywhere in the world. Joe is right. He he somehow thought. I don't uh, think he. Can, I don't think Francis is open to these guys as they yeah. used to be, for example. But I yeah. can always go to Venezuela. It's like Chavez would have taken it. Here, this was the gamble that he took, and he lost. He said, "I can either go to Nigeria or I can stay here. Hmm. I'm going to stay here." <laughs> well, I I mean, given that option, yeah. I understood. I understand why he hung around, but see? Tahiti, I mean, what did they have against this guy? You know, I don't know. He, he, he could go or Switzerland. Doesn't, you know, they take everyone there, right? If, you know? if you're like me, don't you want to see Fidel Castro in one of these, these tiger cages? This, well, I want to see that. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, I'm not holding subject because his brother's supposed to be worse of a tyrant than Fidel is, and he's the, uh, the guy in charge Raul? now. But, Raul Castro? Oh. Yeah, Raul's supposed to be the real bad guy. Hmm. But I don't know. Cuba seems to be uh, opening the doors to America now. If our government can get over the the uh, little bunion that they're carrying for that country, maybe we can. Uh, well, which, which will allow jerk ass talk show hosts to say oh, they're getting more free and we're getting more communists. Do so we get to hear that for about uh, two or three years yeah. now? Did you see what the big push in Cuba now is? What private home ownership. They're going to allow people. Oh, to well, own? I think we should yeah. uh, let them in on this little secret. It's not as good as it. <laughs> Chalked up to be. Be careful, my friends. Do not seek the treasure. And I, I, I mentioned Clark Howard because cheapness is possibly going to be uh, invoked here against me. I'm prepared for it. We can take it. Uh, <clears throat> yesterday, my uh, my older brother emails me an obituary that he wrote about my dad who died last week. It says, uh... I think we should place this in the Fort Lauderdale paper and the Columbus Dispatch. My family is from Columbus, and my dad lived there and worked there till he was in his mid-30s, so lots of people still know the family there. <clears throat> and uh, I approved it, sent it back to him. Then he gets back to me and says, they want $700 for the privilege of, I mean, I'm, when I tell you it's small, I mean, it, it's a small little obituary, not some long thing. So that for, was that for one paper for well, both? This is just for the Fort Lauderdale Sun Sentinel. $700. $700. <laughs> well, 
Was this what the deal is in newspapers? They've lost so much money in other states, they have to just double up, triple up on... There you go. In, in South Florida, that would be, I guess, somewhat lucrative if you could get everybody to well, pay $700. People, people die everywhere. It's, I know, it's, it's, I know it's, but there's... there. there right. I'm sorry, there's an aging geriatric population in South Florida. Right. So you would, you would necessarily be able to jam a lot more people. And I have not found out yet what they want to charge in the Columbus Dispatch, which is probably a bigger paper than the one in, in, in Fort Lauderdale. Well, they got, it's two Ohio State championship rings and a letter jacket. That's that's the monetary currency that's used these days. Yeah, in I didn't think you'd go there that quickly, but thanks. <laughs> and uh, last night, then I'm talking about this with my wife. Jane, my first wife. And she says to me, and this had never come up in a discussion that we'd had, that when her father died about, what, was it three years ago? Something like that. Two years ago. Two years ago. Lived in New York his whole life. Holocaust survivor. The typical New York Times obituary that you read about a a, a Jewish guy in in his 80s who died and... Just, just very typically, you see it all the time. They never ran one for him. My wife doesn't know what the price would have been, but if it's seven hundred bucks to run a little baby size obituary in the Fort Lauderdale paper, what must it be in the New York Times? Five thousand dollars? Yeah, it's got to be. Uh, it's got to be. be four figures. Yeah, it has to be. Yeah. Now, are, are we just being cheap here? Because I see them, you know, now that I think about it, I never give it a thought ever until the last 12 hours. You see these big, long things in newspapers, the Raleigh paper, the News and Record, Winston-Salem Journal. I mean, are they charging up the yin-yang also for this? Because I said to Jane, I said, look, you're... Your dad subscribed to the New York Times probably for, for 55 years. Don't you think you should get a break after you die? Yeah, yeah, and I right. said, you know, if he would have been shot in a liquor store yeah. robbery, he'd get some free pub. But since he didn't, he died honorably. Uh, if you pay us $500, we're going to refer to him as his name. But if not, it's just going to be victim. So, you can, I mean, it's up to you. You can choose either way. <laughs> you think they're making money that way? We don't even know about that it. Would be, that would be a great thing for them to say. I don't want to say that would be disgusting, but even Rupert Murdoch said, no way. And in West Virginia, they'd pay just to have him as yeah. a perpetrator of crime. You better say guy's name. You better spell it right. You think we're just being cheap here? Have you gone through this? I know this is really, really weird and really, really creepy. I know that. I understand it. And I guess there may be a body of thought, oh, what's the difference? Just pay it. No. Well, wait a minute. We, we had this uh, discussion about uh, how much it cost to get him from where he was to the crematory. And you, you, you were able to find somebody who would do that for a lot less than what? Yeah, but that, that's a difference. You, you can't. How, how much was it for, to get him trucked over to the crematory? Oh uh, no, it, no, you're 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 apples and oranging it. I'm, I'm no, telling no, you, this I'm is because that was just a that was just, just a, that was just a rip off place. My point was, you're going to end up paying more for the obituary than you are for getting him to the crematorium. That that's what they're trying to charge you, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, there's my point. Let me get there. I mean, that kind of worked, don't you think? No, but it's all right. Uh, thanks. <laughs> Super sales job, sir. Um, 
I mean, I, I feel kind of icky even talking about it. But I feel bad that we can't really express ourselves without paying a lot of money. But then on the other hand, what's the difference? <laughs> you know, people who know, know, and, and people who don't know them, it's just kind of a weird thing. I'm sure people have set up uh, Facebook pages for, for loved ones in lieu of paying yeah. that, that kind of money. I don't think... And That's I, true. Maybe we should do that. Th- that would be ten times easier to do in memory of, and then you could have it, and people could come in, sign on, and leave memories and condolences. Yeah, that's really not a bad idea. Of course. Because you know what uh, You know what came at me the other day? The weirdest Facebook page, some kind of isolated subject page ever, ever, at least for me. When, when I was a kid, we belonged to this swim club. The, it's long gone. I mean, it was it was uh, steamrolled and 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 concreted over and turned into apartments. You know, one of those things from the fifties and sixties. It's called the Excelsior Club in in Columbus. And suddenly, somebody starts a Facebook page called Excelsior Childhood. And before you know it, there's like hundreds of people on there talking about weird stuff from. 1962. Oh, I remember this lifeguard named Bobby. I rem- I remember eating lunch at the. Th- and I'm so I came on there and I said, "What is wrong with you people? Why do you remember these details from this particular moment?" And it suddenly occurred to me after you said that you ought to start a Facebook page. That would be for something. This would be for something legitimate in memory of uh, people. That must be all the time that people are doing that, right? Then you, then you have people who have Facebook pages set up, and then they die, and their family oh, just keeps they never, rolling it. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm looking at one right now. It's a guy that we both worked with uh, many, many years ago. Oh, yeah. And they've kept it open, and it's kind of cool, because people can go, oh, yesterday was Father's Day, and I thought of you. We had a, we had a listener who passed away a couple of months ago. His name was John Wayne Godfrey, and I believe they've kept his face, Facebook page up and running. So that people can kind of stop by whenever they feel like it. I don't think there's anything wrong with that if you're actively keeping it updated. And right. That's all right. I'd rather send it to a chair. I'd rather do anything with it than use it to print for one day. It's hard to believe that they and, would. I mean, I, that's even hard to believe that they well, would. Well, it's not it. hard to believe. Look, newspapers. I guess. You know, they've, they've got advertising problems also. <clears throat> yeah. Not just themselves, but also. And so they're they're looking to squeeze money wherever they can, and they figure that this is kind of a captive audience. Where else are you going to go? Well, the answer is Facebook. Yeah, well, if you want to drive all the obituary traffic over to social media, you're going to do it if you charge that much because not everybody's going to pay. All right, just cheap people like me won't pay. Leave me alone. Did you ever? Did you ever have to read the obituaries when you first started in radio? No, on the air. You no. missed all of that. You no. missed, that was a good time. Oh, stop! That was WKRP. Oh yeah, Les Nessman. It was, it was sponsored by one of the funeral homes Man. in town, and uh, and you would you would read it every day. Like if I, I can't remember when I did. Well, that's that. not a bad idea. Maybe we should start doing it. <laughs> We're gonna go back to the future on that one. Is there money green? Yeah, get them in. Give, give me a sponsor. We'll rock and roll. You got it. You got it. We do not discriminate around here. Uh, big, uh, big hacking story. I mean, this could be bigger, much bigger, actually, actually more important than the uh, the Rupert Murdoch hacking story. Because if you go back about five, six, seven years on this program, over that time, we've had 
uh, several experts on, including Richard Clark, who was in the Bush administration and was in the Clinton administration and uh, a national security expert. And he has said that computer security is going to be where it's at. And uh, here we go. It looks like China is into this in such a big way, it's not even funny. There is no humor about it, whether it's governments, whether it's corporations, and they very well may have their fingerprints all over what is the biggest hacking bust in the history of the world. It's not making the kind of news that I think it should. I think this is a really, really big story, because in a different time, in a different circumstance, you might go to actual real war over a country trying to do this to you. Well, we've actually upped our policy that if if this sort of thing does happen, we will respond yes. with violent attacks, yes. with physical attacks. A- as if that's you, our policy. Yeah, as if you had lobbed a nuclear bomb at us. Right. That yeah. that is our policy. That if you do this, we will respond in some cases with military precision. And as you know, this president always lives up to his word. Every single time. Every time he makes a promise, <laughs> you can go to the bank on it. So from what I gather, Gaddafi must have tried to hack something. That's why we had to start lobbing cruise missiles at him. Uh, Rick on FM Talk 101.1 WZTK, good morning. Good morning. Uh, we went through this with my mom about seven years ago when she passed away. Had her obituary put in four different newspapers and it averaged $900 per obituary. Oh, and I, when I questioned that, I said, wait a second. What's going on here? And, no, you know, you uh, just cannot uh, afford to die if that's going to be the cost. The funeral director made the comment and said they consider it a legal notice. You know, like, you know, people do all the time for, like, creditors or whatever. Uh, and uh, it's not considered a classified ad to the funeral home. Which I thought. That oh, that's yeah, and you know what a load that is. They can classify it any way they want. They can redefine <laughs> what you're running as anything they want and give it a different rate, as opposed to uh, the, right. the size of the ad. If it were an actual ad, would would not be that much. Well, Come on, it's a joke. There, there, there's a, a publishing company. Yeah. That uh, they published the News and Record. Yeah. And USA Today. They were that was most of the newspapers that were owned by those. No. by that company, no. and uh, you know, it was just pathetic. I mean, is this going to have to be something people put in their final wishes that I don't, do not want exorbitant amounts of money spent ra- uh, running my obituary in newspapers? That would be, I would I would think that would be appropriate. Good Lord, you have to think of everything. Uh, yeah. That's... Look, I mean, I know they're trying to get as much money as they can. I, I understand that. But you know what this does? It kind of becomes... It becomes class warfare. If you're at a certain income level, you can't afford to make an announcement right. that you're dead. Mm-hmm. Just, just out of curiosity, Brad, did yeah. you have the, your father's uh, obituary put in a Columbus Post Dispatch? The Columbus Post? I've never heard of that. The Columbus? Oh, you mean the Columbus well, Dispatch? Yeah, thank you. Right. <laughs> the Post Dispatch is, is, is that the Charleston paper? Uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, uh, my brother's taking care of this. He's inquiring. I'm, I'm guessing it's, it's just as uh, exorbitant as the stupid Florida paper. So we might not do right. that either. I don't know. Good God. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. yeah. And then, like, well, when my dad died 12 years, or no, about 18 years ago, excuse me, it was only like $50. And one of the newspapers actually sent my mother 
a copy of the obituary, you know, it was laminated and looked really nice and, you know, no, oh, those were the good old days. Yeah. That's the old days. That's the old days. You know, gasoline then was only a nickel a gallon, too. <laughs> Inflation's right. oh, terrible. Oh, yes, it was about two bucks a gallon. I know, I know, Rick. Thanks very much. Hey, hey thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye. So you guys, are, have, you, have you kind of put the plans on hold so you haven't made a final decision on this? No, we haven't made a decision. Good God. I, uh, I, I think plan A is to shrink down the number of words and try to get a better deal. (laughs) (laughs) So all the creative writing has been squeezed out of what was in there. That's kind of sad. That is kind of sad. It's pathetic. You to boil it down like that. I'll tell you what. Can can we bring this up with Clark Howard? We we should bring it up with Clark Howard. You'll go crazy with this one. uh, I would think... That this uh, is the one topic he's never addressed. When we start doing obituaries on this show, we'll do it for 500. We'll go 500. Yeah. Up to up to three three hundred words. Up to sixty seconds. It'll yeah. just, we'll put music behind it. And everything. <laughs> we may even send you an MP3 file. I mean, we could go. We go complete concierge with this. That's true. You know, and, and uh, let's say your loved one was a big fan of football. Yeah. Right. So in the middle of the obituary, we can play uh, a clip of his favorite team's star player scoring a touchdown, and we can do on-air obituaries. The way they've never been done before. That's right. Not this this real droll. For an extra fifty bucks, if you really like, we can have one of the characters do the thing. We can have Strom Thurmond, James Lee Oliver of eighty (laughs) five Window Street, Apex, North Carolina. Went went to meet with his lord Thursday the fifteenth. He was a credit to his community. He was a credit to his community. That's an extra fifty. Dano can read it for, for an extra hundred. We'll lie about the person. We'll just make up stuff. You want the Asian guy to read it? That's, that's just fifty. It's fifty extra. I mean, I, we got to try to maximize what we can on this one. <laughs> he was a, a fine American and courage. All right. So point is, back to, to Hack City. Uh, Tom Rivers joins us in in just a few minutes. Senator Richard Burr this morning, right after the. 7.30 news, he who voted yes the other day for the uh, debt ceiling extension, uh, increase, whatever you want to call it, uh, Richard Burr, a yes vote on that. We'll ask him about that and some other things. And then the FBI and Brad Garrett and D.B. Cooper. Are you kidding? <laughs> Are you joking? Things we can never get to the bottom of for a thousand, Alex. Just Stop it. Just stop all that with the uh, the D.B. Cooper story. Well, they were so convinced, though. They finally got him. They got a huge break. They know who it was. It's like, no, they're no closer. Yeah, to they getting... get to the end of the story. Well, they're not really sure. They're, 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 really they're no closer so. today than solving the case than they were in 1971. I mean, it's, just, it's exactly the same thing. Yeah. i gotta, yeah. I got to ask Brad Garrett when we get him on if, if he's got, you know, if they actually made this a thing where he had to devote manpower to it. Because it seems like there, there was an incredible quest by the FBI to somehow, some way, clear this one off the books. You can never say at the FBI we didn't get our man. That's like the the only the, they go after him tooth and nail decades down the road. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, it is a six twenty six tax free weekend coming up in North Carolina. And does it not feel right this year? Does it feel different? Tax free weekend. The buildup is not the same, is it? I don't know. I'm, I'm it, hearing advertisers on our station mention it more than I, I remember in years past. 
um, and we've had some some of the nationally uh, recognized guys. The Sam's Choice. How, how does Amazon handle the tax free? Oh, I'm sorry, they're always tax free. Yeah. most of the time on most it's of the it's tax free weekend every weekend yeah. at Amazon. Brad, yeah. everybody is a Tom Rivers fan. ABC News in London Forest. Hey, Tom. Hey, good morning, guys. Yeah, that's kind of a strange story, isn't it? Huh? Yeah, it sure is. Uh, well, uh, hacking in the news, and it's not the uh, Rupert Murdoch version of it, although I guess there are some other tabloid hacking uh, revelations we can get to in a few minutes. But uh, okay. this this big story that uh, has to do with uh, McAfee kind of discovering this, uh, uh, give us the details, because this is not at the top of the news pile, and I think it should be higher up. It's a big deal. It's a big deal, and you know, if you're like like me, if the computer goes haywire at home, you grab your teenage kids to come sort it out. But this is this is big time, major league type uh, worries for many people out there. McAfee's gone over some records going back to I think 2006, actually, and uh, they're calling it Operation Shady Rat. Rat is <laughs> an remote access tool, a software that basically how it works is, and in layman's terms, they'll send you like. An email, okay, guys, and say, "Hey, Britt, you just won yourself a set of golf clubs." So I you, yeah, click on this. You click on this, and and then these other people, then the baddies, then have access to to your computer at your at your station. So that's how they get into these companies. They got in seventy two governments, various departments, and large corporations. And uh, bottom line is, they say it was the act of a sole state. McAfee won't say what state it is, but the. Uh, Center for Strategic International Studies says it certainly looks like China. And, uh, you know, what was the goal in this? To try to gain economic and military advantage from the various government and corporation sites. Well, wait a minute. When I pay my $79 a year to McAfee, aren't I supposed to get an alert if someone is hacking into my computer? Don't you get that little box up there that says, click on this and we'll try to, to clean it out? Why does McAfee... I know I don't know, but, but, but apparently this was very, very subtle, and I think it's way above, you know, our level, but they said it was so subtle, most people didn't even know of <laughs> that somebody else was trawling through all of their files, uh, who knows at what time of the day or night. But, uh, yeah, it wasn't obvious, so the bells weren't flashing, let's put it that way. What countries were targeted, what governments were targeted? We, I'm sure the United States, of course, is always at the top of the list for uh, espionage here, but what others? They've listed a few, uh, India, yeah. Canada, uh -huh. uh, South Korea, Taiwan, interesting, Taiwan obviously there. Um, so yeah, a number of them. I don't know why you want to go to the IOC, I suppose maybe the Beijing games played into that, I guess. Um, go into there, go into the UN. I'm not sure about uh, what they want to get at the UN, but the US, yeah, I guess there was a lot of stuff that they could have grabbed from the from the American government. So uh, whoever was doing this uh, probably has a treasure trove oh, of information that what? they can use down the road and then pitching for projects, et cetera, et cetera. Wait, I'm looking here. Uh, also, the World Anti-Doping Agency in Montreal. They wanted to hack into that to find out what whether Tiger Woods was really on the juice. <laughs> well, what is that? It's more of a Lance Armstrong. What, it's more of a Lance maybe, Armstrong thing, I think. May, I don't. I don't. Maybe they were practicing. Uh, they needed. The, the, they needed a subject to 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 focus on. I don't know why they would go after that either. Strange. Well, I mean, it, but it seems to me like operations like like this are going rat trap or or whatever. Those mm -hmm. things are going on all the time. I guess they are, and again, it, some of it doesn't even make you know the news here. And I guess you know there are there are various things well, that go on. For instance, you know scams here, say in the UK, where people are coming up with new ways of you know getting money out of uh, 
out of uh, hole in the wall machines, et cetera, et cetera, and you never hear about it because uh, you know the banks just want to uh, hush that kind of stuff up. We we're talking about this uh, earlier in the hour, and Britt reminded us uh, very smartly that uh, not too long ago the United States declared that any type of uh, hacking activity, certainly at this level, would be considered an act of war and yeah, would, that, would be yeah. met with real force, not just uh, going back and sending a nasty message, don't do mm -hmm. that again. Uh, do, do we have a government response at this at any level? Not at, not at this stage. I think it's sort of a, it's sort of a paper tiger uh, mm. argument, if you will. Don't do this. Well, someone's done yeah. it. <laughs> now what are you going to do? Uh, the, the cat's out of the bag at this stage of the game. Uh, all right, uh, Tom Rivers, what about the uh, other hacking scandal mm. with the tabloids and tapping into people's cell phones and tapping into celebrity cell phones and the cops and... Yeah. Politicians, uh, wh where are we on that particular well, scandal? There's a new layer, and uh, let's get into this because everybody's been, you know, focusing on Murdoch, Murdoch, Murdoch. Those in the know said, well, it's kind of a practice. May, you know, wink and a nod have gone on at other tabloids, other papers in the UK as well. Uh, we're kind of at that level now. Uh, Heather Mills, one time married to Paul McCartney, mm -hmm. uh, says back in Ten years ago, 2001, when they were just going out, she had been approached by a senior journalist at in the Mirror Group, the Daily Mirror, kind of the main competitor to the Sun here in the Murdoch stable, but in the in the Mirror stable, saying, "Hey, we got some information." She's and she said this reporter actually read out verbatim a number of voicemails to her <laughs> and asking her to comment. And she says, "I tell you what, I mean, those I know where you got them. You got them from my phone. And if you run with the story, I'm going to the cops." At that point, the reporter said, "Wait." Wait on, hold on a sec here. We're not going to run the story. Uh, so there you go. Goodbye. And so she, <laughs> she sat on this news now for 10 years, yeah. and uh, it looks like there may or may not be a widening. There's, there's, there's a public and a police investigation into, into what's going down here with all of this hacking. So it may become fodder for at least one of those bodies to examine beyond uh, the boundaries, if you will, of Murdoch. Uh, where other papers involved? Maybe, and if they want to pursue that, they may drag in some of the people like the former editor of the Daily Mirror at that time, Piers Morgan. The guy who's on CNN at 9 o'clock every night. Correct. Exactly. What, what is the Piers yeah. Morgan story? Because he has said, yes, I did, no, I didn't. I've, I've heard of a, a couple of different versions of this. Exactly. He was talking to uh, BBC Radio here a couple of years ago called Desert Island Discs. It's kind of a kind of a fantasy kind of program. But anyways, they got into, you know, what was it like, uh, you know, a few years ago on, on Fleet Street? And he was saying, well, you know, all kinds of shady characters would come along, and sometimes you'd have to look at some stuff and maybe generate stories from it. So he was very, very broad stroke very general but the question that set it up was you know do, do people go through trash do people go through phones etc and he kind of generally says well stuff goes on so uh, it's up for you for you and i to interpret that very general if you will quote mm. and it's up for others then if they determine it necessary to drag him get him before a committee sit down in a chair and then tear it apart and see exactly what he knew and who told him and who was doing things at his paper. But as yet, he's not been uh, no. compelled to sit before MPs and tell a story? No, exactly. So that may 
or may not happen. We'll have to wait and see. Jeez, mm. you, if they could, if they could make it after the uh, America's Got Talent season ends, I'm not sure <laughs> when it ends. <laughs> oh, let's check diaries, huh? Yeah, you gotta you got to try to work in between his taping schedule because he's a busy go guy. back and do Britain Has Talent again, right? He I, started over there. This, and by the way, if he does get, a, he gets in a protracted, lengthy battle in England, it's great for Larry King. Larry King can make his entree back into American television to fill in for a few weeks. Yeah. There you go. It's a, I'm, I'm pinch hitting until this stuff is sorted out on the other side of the Atlantic. Exactly. Can, can we circle back to the Heather Mills thing again? First of all, yeah. it's to kind of to her credit that she kept her mouth shut. She kept her word all mm-hmm. these years mm-hmm. and uh, said, just don't publish the story and, and everything will be cool. But now I'm really interested to know what they had on her because that was at the point where she was really considered a, a predator by a lot of Beatles fans, somebody else trying to take advantage of Paul and get her hands on his money. So right. there must have been something to well, it. This was, this was a curious thing. She, she, she kind of alluded to this. The BBC did an interview with her yesterday, and yeah. it was apparently they had a lover's tiff. This was before ah, they were married. See? So, so we don't know the salacial details, but it was like, yeah, you know, I'm sorry, or you're sorry, that kind of stuff. Which she, you know, she says it's personal. You know, how dare you guys even contemplate calling me on this? So at, at that point, you know, the quotes were read out, apparently, and, and she confronted them, and yeah. they said, oh, okay. We're <laughs> so Sorry. Exactly. Well, let's, let's be honest. The, the woman doesn't have a leg to stand on. I mean, come on. All right. That's uh, all. That'll end that right there. Obvious joke of the day. <laughs> Not really. Uh, I think you had to mine hard for that one. All right. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, Tommy Rivers in Britain. Thank you. Take care, guys. You got it. Uh, this is FM Talk 101.1 WZTK. <laughs> Dan Rather, H. Dean at News. And this is your Rather Report and a happy birthday to our Commander-in-Chief. President Obama turning 50 years old today, and it's very hard to see any woman doing that sultry Marilyn Monroe salute to Obama, a la JFK. Seems to me Michelle would not stand for that. She would jerk a knot on that woman's head. So let's keep the singing of happy birthday to some dude. And avoid the drama. Isn't it funny how you don't hear that birth certificate stuff anymore? Isn't it strange how all of that just went away when he released the birth certificate to the public just before the killing of Osama bin Laden? Even Donald Trump doesn't mention that the president may have been born outside of the U.S. anymore. Of course, Trump is trying desperately to polish that turd that is the upcoming season of The Celebrity Apprentice. Have, have you seen who he has? No. Who he's got booked? No. Even Nicole Richie said these people have done nothing. <laughs> if you're the dog walker for the cue card guy on Saturday Night Live, you are not a celebrity. The president did have a huge party fundraiser last night in Chicago, where Herbie Hancock, Jennifer Hudson, and the rock band OK Go Who? performed. Well, they're a Chicago band called OK Go. Well, okay. It's not exactly true that those three people performed. The Tea Party ordered him to cut OK Go, and true to form, he folded like a tent. <laughs> Liberals are extremely mad at Obama right now. They feel he has not abided by liberal principles. In fact, he's been a lot like his pres- pres- predecessor, George W. Bush. Obama said he still considers himself a liberal, and to prove it, he often feels guilty about stuff he never did several times a day. Hmm. You know, when a man reaches 50... It's a great time to reflect. Reflect about what he's accomplished and what he hasn't. A chance to look ahead and look back. What has Barack Obama done at the age of 50? He's been able to travel around the world for nothing. Right there, he's exactly like a United States Marine. He won an award he didn't deserve. 
So right there, he's like Ben Affleck. He plays more golf than he should, and he hasn't gotten any better at the game. So he's just like your dad. And millions of Americans who use golf as an excuse just to get out of the house. If he takes up hunting and fishing, we'll know he's really desperate to get away from his wife and daughters. Conservative superstar Chris Christie, a fascinating story here. The governor of New Jersey is facing criticism of his appointment of a Muslim to the state bench in New Jersey. This has outraged some people who fear that Sharia law is just around the corner. In New Jersey. Now, Chris Christie, of course, very understanding and sympathetic to the criticism. He gingerly wanted to tell the critics that he respects their opinion. Here is Chris Christie. Sharia law has nothing to do with this at all. It's crazy. It's crazy. The guy's an American citizen. And so this Sharia law business is crap. Well, there you are. But before you keep applauding there, laughing boy, what if Sharia law did exist in New Jersey? Wouldn't it be a good thing? Don't you want to see Snooky covered up from head to toe? True. Think about it. Maybe not Wow so much, but you got to take the good with the bad. Sure. Today's celebrity birthdays. Jeff Gordon, the man known as the Intimidator, turning 40 years old today. Helen Thomas, the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, turning 91 today. And Billy Bob Thornton, the son of R&B legend Big Mama Thornton, turning 56 years old today. And we are 508. 35 days. Barack Hussein Obama leaving the White House and heading back to the political cesspool that is Chicago, Illinois. Dan Rather. HD Net News. Buy gold. Courage.